Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we're in Mark chapter 10, and this is a profoundly deep chapter when it comes to understanding just what it is the disciples expect of Jesus and how that's really the opposite of what it is Jesus has come to do. We begin. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house of the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And he was setting out on this journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel 
who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Then they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your own way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. That really it's the first bit of the chapter that stands out against the theme of the rest of the chapter. So to, to really put it into the theme of the chapter, consider it in this light. Um, the whole, whole chapter is about the kingdom of God being different than the kingdom of this world. It's not what the disciples expect it to be. It doesn't look like a worldly kingdom. So this divorce question from the Pharisees and their trap, again, trying to trying to test Jesus and, and, and get to him and get the crowds to turn against him and, and such, they are they're thinking still in the ways of the world. Divorce is common. It was common then. It's common today in our era. And they're trying to get Jesus to, to break Moses' law, to oppose what Moses would say here. And 
Jesus goes well beyond that. He turns the accusation against them. So they're quoting, well, not quoting, but they're they're referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24 um, as they ask this question. And Jesus takes them straight back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So Genesis 1, 27, God made the male and female. And then Genesis 2, 24 is what Jesus quotes in verses 7 and 8. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. The big deal here is, again, this is Jesus is instructing them not to live the way the world lives. His is a different kingdom. Follow the Lord and not this world. Uh, and so what we see here, uh, the Bible's word divorce doesn't mean what English word divorce means. It, it simply means to send away. So a man divorces his wife. He's sending her out from his house. It doesn't actually sever the divorce per se, as we consider it to do today. They are no longer two, but one flesh. And this is a question for your family, really. Do we live this way? Legally, does our culture treat marriage as the two people becoming one person? No. But even within the church, even within our homes, do we live as though the two people really become one? Now look at what Jesus says. They are no longer two, but one. And that has ramifications. That's important for us to consider. And I don't know how much we do. Um, we usually just gloss over that. Lots of things in our culture that disagree with it, like HIPAA, for example. How many times have I called trying to help my wife while she's taking care of the kids and busy with that? And I'm trying to take care of the bills or the finances. You know, she's been to the doctor or something. And, and oftentimes I can't even pay the bill without getting her verification over the phone because of HIPAA stuff. She's like, we're one flesh. We're not two, we're one. And, and it's not just that. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. And you know it, you see it. I think the only place that this doesn't play is salvation. When it comes to whether or not you reach heaven and enter the kingdom of God, you do not enter it as husband and wife. You enter it as one. Because at the moment you die, your marriage is severed. You are no longer one flesh. So that's the only thing, really. Anyway, what God has joined together, let man not separate. That's actually a command. Let man not separate is imperative in the Greek. Uh, so it's Jesus is speaking a command here. Let in the English makes it sound a little softer than it probably should sound. Now this needs to sound stronger than that in our in our hearing. As the disciples ask him in the house, which is a common trend for them, they do this quite a bit. Jesus responds to them that if anyone divorces and marries another, they're committing adultery. If a husband divorces his wife, marries another, he commits adultery. If a woman divorced, is divorced from her husband or divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Simple language, plain, no exceptions. Again, not how we live in the in the world or in the church even today. Uh, if you want to pick up that conversation on remarriage even further, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I think it's verses 10, 11, 12, right in that region. Paul instructs from the Lord, not himself, that if a, a woman is to divorce her husband, she either needs to remain unmarried at that point or be reconciled to her husband. He still uses the word husband there. He doesn't change the language. 
um, because the, the the marriage is not entirely severed. They are still one flesh. They're just separated. The, the other thing he says there is that the husband should not divorce his wife, period, point blank. Men, you have no, no reason to divorce your bride, according to scripture. And what's Paul coming from there? Well, he's coming from what he writes in Ephesians 5. If you read verses 25 and following there, you read about what Jesus does for the church, and that's how the husband is supposed to live for his wife. Jesus died for the church. He gave up everything for the church. He presented her as perfect and blameless. Guys, if, if we're doing that for our wives, we, we can't divorce them. It is not loving them to send them out of the house, to put them on the streets. It's a tough task. And again, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't look like the world lives. So that was a longer time than I wanted to spend on that, but it's a deep section. Um, Jesus has come, we skipped verse 1, into Judea, which is he's moved south from Galilee to Judea, where Jerusalem is going to be. He's on his way there. And beyond the Jordan, that makes it sound like he went eastward, because he was on the west side of the Sea of Galilee last time we had a location given. Um, so he'll have to cross the Jordan again, I think, here to make it to Jerusalem in the days to come. Now, you've got the children, you've got the rich man, you've got the, the disciples' understanding of, of power and authority. Um, and then you've got Jesus healing a, a lowly blind man. And those all fit this kingdom theme. So the disciples are upset that children are coming to Jesus. And later in the text, the, in the end, the crowd is upset about the blind man bothering Jesus. This is the time where you can ask your children, what do the disciples think that the kingdom of God is? What are they expecting? What do they want Jesus to do for them? And this is an important thing to, for us to be able to comprehend and understand. And there's still people that think this way, even in the world today, those who want to see Israel restored, for example. But what they're anticipating of a Messiah is an earthly king and an earthly kingdom. They want a king who will overthrow the Romans and will establish a great nation of Israel once again, that they will be the ones in power in this world. So we see that from the disciples. Don't bring children to Jesus. Children don't have anything to offer this military might of this kingdom. They're, they're worthless to us. Don't bring them. Don't waste the, the master's time. Or with the crowd and the blind man. That blind man can't offer anything to the kingdom of Israel. Why do we want him around? Just, just shut up and go away. They told him to be silent. They rebuked him. We see it with James and John in the paragraph prior to that, that they wanted the power. They wanted to sit at Jesus' right and his left. They're not talking about the heavenly throne room. They're talking about Jesus' earthly throne room. When he overthrows the Roman Empire and he sets himself up to be king, Jesus, let us sit at your right and your left. The rich young man. And the disciples' an inability to understand why Jesus would send the, the wealthy man away. Look at that man. He brings wealth. That's useful. That, that, that can be used for the kingdom, establishing this new kingdom of ours. Jesus. Jesus, if, if he's not worth anything to you, who is? If he's not saved, who is? Do you see how all this fits together? 
they expect a worldly empire. The blind and the children don't have value to an empire. Not in the immediate, at least, for the children. But the wealthy, they have value to an empire, certainly. Even if it's, at least, if it's just taxing them, that would be valuable. This is not the case. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these, verse 14. All people, including the blind man at the end of the chapter. Verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What's a child? What's that mean to be like a child? A childlike faith, as we might say somewhere else in scripture. It's to be humble. It's to admit that you are worthless and that you bring nothing to the table. When it comes to your salvation, you do nothing. You earn nothing. You can't. You, you have nothing to offer God. I mean, think about that for a moment. God created the entirety of heaven and earth. It's all his. How are you going to buy your way into heaven? Uh, what do you have to offer him? You have nothing. And children realize that as they come before their parents and they sit at the table and they get a meal. They have nothing to offer. Their parents simply care for them because they love them. And it's also a task God has given them to do. And so it is with your salvation. You are not saved by your own doing. You come to the table empty with nothing. And Jesus fills you. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. That's the point of the childlike faith. And then that's going to be it with the, the rich young man here as well. Jesus tries to turn this young man. So why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus is trying to get him to make that confession that nobody makes until the Roman centurion five chapters from now. He's trying to get this man to see through the worldly way and to acknowledge him as being the son of God. That would be the shift that needs to happen for this man. The man claims he's kept the commandments. Jesus doesn't take him to task on that. He could have. Instead, he drives right to the man's heart. He knows his idol and he attacks it. He knows this man's God is his money. And so he tells him to give it up. And he can't. He goes away sorrowful disheartened. And so again, the disciples are amazed by this. How, how, who can be saved? With man, it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible for God as a reference to saving men, to saving any of us, children, grown-ups, blind people, whoever. All things are possible for God. You can picture this with your kids, the illustration Jesus uses. You can take a needle. Uh, most of us have a needle in our home. Take a needle and ask them if a camel can go through that needle's hole, like the little eye of the needle, the hole in it. Obviously, the answer is no. That's your ticket into paradise. If you can force your way through that hole, you can go to heaven. Or, it can be a gift that God gives you. I'll take the gift. <laughs> Thank you, God, for saving me and bringing me into your kingdom. Running out of time here, so the disciples, again, look at Peter in verse 28. We have left everything and followed you. So the rich young man is not good enough, but what about us? We gave it all up. Or, again, James and John asking to sit at his right and left. Uh, Jesus responds to them that they will, they will drink his cup and they will be baptized with his baptism. Those are referencing his suffering and death in the days to come. James is going to be executed by King Herod at the sword. 
um, in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, John is going to be boiled alive, but miraculously by God's hand, survives the event actually unharmed. And so the, the emperor exiles him to a, an island called Patmos, where he spends many years, writes a few of his books, and then returns in the last year or two of his life to the city of Ephesus before he dies. Um, so he's the only one of the apostles that dies of old age instead of martyrdom. Uh, let's see here. Any other notes that I need to cover? We've got this idea of the first and the last being slave of all. I mean, the, the power idea is different. The disciples were angry with James and John because they also wanted the power. They wanted to sit at the right and the left of Jesus. It shall not be so among you. You know how worldly empires work, but that's not how God's kingdom works. Serve one another. If you want to be great, serve each other. If you want to be great, be a slave to everyone. Because Christ came to serve everyone, not to be served. The kingdom of God turns the world upside down.